Coming up this week, off-screen. We uncover the legend of Tarzan. The magic's back in Now You See Me 2. Maggie has a plan. It's a classic comeback story with Weena. And we sail up the river. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is Off-Screen. Off-Screen. the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. Case Allen. And we begin this week of cinematic ramblings with a look at Pixar. Remember Pixar? They had a couple of films once upon a time. Yeah, animation studio. They did the funny drawings. That's what it is. And they were bought by that company... With the uh, mouse head. ...Dreamworks. They were bought by, were bought by Dreamworks, aren't they? I believe. Oh, they asked... No, no, yeah. it's Disney. It's Disney. No. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so, obviously, in recent years, Pixar have, have gone from being the studio that adults love to watch the cartoons of, you know, and crying over, and we all yeah. have that, that famous thing in Pixar, mm. Pixar, which will make you I, I think they, they are still there, but they have been doing some sequels. They, they've well. been doing a lot of sequels, and I yeah. sense you know where I'm going with this as well. Yeah, I do, yeah. Because this week, the president of Pixar, a man named Jim Morris, was asked specifically about this, because uh, obviously at the moment, they've got Finding Dory out, which is in, in the US, which is a sequel mm. to Finding Nemo, and they've been asked, you've got Toy Story 4 on the way, you've got Cars 3, you've got The Incredibles 2, mm. is this going to stop? And he has come clean and said, look, it was meant to be two or three original films and then one sequel and that was how we'd mapped it out and it's all gone the schedule's gone a little bit askew yeah. but we are still sticking to the same idea proportion wise so after Incredibles uh, 2 it is mm. we're going back to originals there's no sequel they after had, that point they decided it was going to be an original idea every every year mm. and then a sequel every year and a half is that, is that the, the scheme is that how mm. it's going to work that, that was the scheme and I think that's mm. that's now kind of changed because when, when you think about it all their like big original properties Monsters Inc yeah. Toy Story Obviously, all those those sequels have either come out or about to come out. So yeah. there's only going to be like up Wally and Ratatouille that don't have sequels. They, we, they have said as well. Those, we, don't, we don't need those yeah, ones. They've said that those aren't coming. We're those not like getting sequels. To yeah, them. we don't. You don't need Wally or two. Bugs Life. No one ever needs Bugs Life too. No, a Bugs Midlife Crisis. But <laughs> I would only want Wally if it's a comment about Donald Trump when he becomes president and Wally is. He's saving the planet. Why have you got to always and take it to politics? I've always got to take it. I mean, don't ask me about Tony Blair today. Oh, yeah. oh, of course, because today's the day of the day of Chilcott, of course. It is, but we have a film show. We so. are, we are. Let's talk about films. On which note, should we, should we start the box office top ten for the week? We're going to get it all done in one go this week so we can move on to other things. Number ten. Heroes in a Half Shell. Turtles Out of the Shadows, which I really liked. I know you're not a Turtles fan, are you? I'm No, I, I never have been. No. It's, it's like Pokemon and Transformers. <laughs> I never... I never got on the bandwagon, I guess. Uh, well, it is a lot more of what fans, I think, wanted to see from a live-action Big Budget Turtles movie. <clears> the characters <throat> are there, the, sci- the sci-fi elements of the story are back, the interplay is is brought back in full force, and you've got the Amel star Stephen Arrow. Amel- the Amel star Stephen Arrow, the <laughs> Arrow star Arrow. Stephen Amel. As Casey oh, Jones. he's always going to be known as Batman. All right, he's awesome, let's move on. Number nine. It just won't leave. The Jungle Book. The Bungle Juck. The, the Bungle Juck. <laughs> the Bungle Juck. You, you fully bungled it up. Yeah. Um, which, there's nothing left to say other than it's great. Um, it's probably still going to be in the box office top <clears> 10 by the time it hits Blu-ray at this stage. Yeah. And I mean, it came out in April. 
It did. Came out in April. It's it's July already, and mm. we're still dealing with this. It's now been in the charts twelve weeks. It deserves to be there. Don't get me wrong. It is the perfect family film. Yeah, it's probably why it's still there. It probably is. So if you've not seen it, um, go and see it on the big screen while you can, because yeah. when it hits DVD and Blu-ray, and you inevitably buy it, because you should and you must, uh, you will watch it a thousand times, and your biggest regret will be that you didn't see it on the big screen. Number eight, Alice through the Looking Glass, which is way better than the first movie. But if we're honest, that's not saying a hell of a lot. Is it? No. Um, not particularly. I mean, Johnny Depp's really, really rubbish in it, and I can't figure out why. Why is he so bad in this? Why does this Hatter make no logical, consistent sense, even in the, the bizarre mm. realm of Lewis Carroll? I mean, at least it's quite consistent, because if he, if you liked his character in the second one, his character was completely different, then something yeah. would be awry. But um, the Werner Herzog-iness of, of Sasha, Sasha Baron, Baron Cohen, Cohen yeah. yeah, that's why you should go that, see that it. That more than makes up for it. Sasha Baron Cohen is the big reason to see this film. Number seven. The Nice Guy. This has got some legs. It does, doesn't it? Has, yeah, it has, surprising. It has some legs. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than you, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I think because we took different uh, viewpoints on the slapstick element mm. of it, where I thought it was a little bit too simplistic for, for Shane Black, and you thought that it worked within the period I, setting. It worked with that period, yeah. But yeah. That's, that's a good thing about these kind of films. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, you I don't think it's... Conflicting opinions. That's it. I, mean, I don't think it's as good as Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, but you know what? A lot of films aren't as good as Kiss, Kiss, yeah. Bang, Bang. So that that's not really... Really much of a criticism. Number six. Me before V. Which I like. Um, I, d- I keep seeing the novel everywhere I go now, the sequel novel, After, after you, you, which I didn't know existed a week yeah. ago. And yeah, it's everywhere I go now. When, in fact, when we were in Leeds the other day. We, Did we went, you see it there as well? It was there. When when you and I were at a gin festival in Leeds, I stopped in the WH Smith's to buy smokes. <laughs> give people an <clears throat> insight into our downtime. <laughs> this, this is how we spend our lives at uh, formalised drinking parties. That's yeah. how it works, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm currently wearing a, a crocheted scarf. Exactly. Crushed velvet it ruins, slippers. It ruins the classy image if we say that we went to Greg's beforehand. <laughs> Got myself a steak bake to get my fancy gin. Had a steak bake before we went and cleansed our palates with all the fancy gins. Uh, but no, I noticed the novel there in the W.H. Smiths as well. Um, I like the film, and I like the, the, the relationship and the chemistry between Amelia Clark and Sam Clayflin. Mm. I like that the token douchebag boyfriend is given a little bit more depth than usual. He's played by Matthew Lewis, I believe, from Harry Potter series. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I generally really liked the sort of there was a softness to the writing and i thought the film would not quite have worked because it is the screenplay is written by the original author isn't it yes and i, I want jojo jojo moyes yeah. yeah. and i believe she's written the screenplay for the film as well and it shows because she seems to know exactly how to mine the, the right stuff out of what she's written and it, it works for me i liked it i bought into it and it was playful and sincere and heartfelt and <sighs> Really, I don't really have much in the way of bad words to say about it. Number five. The Conjuring 2, the Enfield case. You're my Enfield case case. Oh. <laughs> Good at Enfield. Stop. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I like the film very much. I mm. think it's a worthy sequel to the first film. I don't think it's as good as the first film, but again, you know, high bar, I think, for in terms of micro-budget yeah. horror. And it's, it's better than most sequels, oh. most horror oh, sequels. Conjuring 2 yeah. is better than most original horror films these days. So, There's like yeah. five good ones in the last like, I mean, five less, years. Less we forget we're going to have like what is it uh, Ouija 2 yeah, Ouija that's coming, coming out soon. yeah, yeah we've got so I, I will take this up about any day I will and I like uh, I like the casting very much in these films I think Vera Fami is one of the most underact- underrated actresses of her generation I would Patrick say that Wilson, Patrick Wilson is one of the most underrated actors of his generation but he's also incredibly consistent yes he is they are both on fine form here as is masterful horror director James Wan who is just brilliant here number four <laughs> Independence Day, Regurgitation, or ID4R. 
ID4. Well, that's a good one. I'm seeing yeah. people call it. Yeah. You know, the weird thing it's the fifth of it's the sixth of July today as we record this. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, we've missed Independence Day by two actual days. Um, I watched uh, the Patriot. Did on... you watch the Patriot? Yeah, he's also directed by Roland Emmerich. Oh, of course it yeah, is. That, yeah. that, that, that was my Independence Day film. Oh, yeah. good old Jason Isaacs. Hello, Jason Isaacs. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, Independence Day, it's a waste of time. It's not one-tenth as good as the first film. It's not even worth it on a dumb, fun level. Nobody involved can be bothered it's to lift a finger. It's self-serious. It is. Yeah. I give it that. I guess exactly what it is. Number three. Central Intelligence. Which I loved. I've not this, had the pleasure yet. I need to see it. This is the action comedy of the summer. This is absolutely the action comedy of the summer. We've actually both seen the comedy of the summer, but we're not allowed to talk about it for another two months, nor indeed name it. So we have seen the comedy of the summer. But it's this, so good. It's so good, isn't it? I'm so horrible. But, but uh, this is the action comedy. It is It is funny. It is frenzied. It's brilliant. It gives Dwayne Johnson a chance to really, really play for laughs in a way yeah. you didn't think he it, could actually sub- do. It kind of subverts their usual yeah, tropes. It, it does. Yeah. It's the inverse of Ride Along. And, totally. and that's the thing. It's a ride in itself. It is just great fun. Number two. Abfab. Which I've not had the pleasure because it wasn't press shown. And, uh, well, I'm not made of time. I am but one man. And we had gym festivals to go to. If know. anyone's going to understand it, it's Patty and... Is it Patty or Patsy? Patsy and Eddie? Or Edie? Or... I, I, I don't know. I, I, Joanna I... Lumley and... I see. I see my mum about twice a year, so I don't really get to learn about the intricacies of Abfab. It's going to be a great Blu-ray present for your mum for Christmas. That's very true. That is. Th- mm. Thanks for that. that. Saves me a Christmas present. There you are. Number one. Do you know what that song is called, and who does it? It's "Bounce" by like System, System of a Down. Down. Yeah. yeah. But of course, for uh. our purposes, it is the button we will now forever use for the secret life of pets, because it's the <laughs> bit from the trailer that everyone kept talking about. Yeah. Um, God, when it, I saw it in the trailer, it's like, oh, it's such a good bit in the trailer. The film is obscenely funny. Um, it has just the perfect comedic cast. It's that kind of cast that you and I love, Case, mm. which is the, the, the kind <clears> of uh, US cable network comedy stars. Yeah, because you've got Louis, you've got Eric Stone Street. Yeah. Well, um, well, he's network, but no, I'm mean, uh, mixing a little. But, but you've got, for instance, Hannibal Barras. That's who I was going to. He's next. HBO, isn't he, as well? Because he's on Broad City. Is Broad City a HBO? Is he? Show? I thought it was. I don't, I don't know. He is show. on Broad City. Or is it FX? I think it's FX. FX. You know, okay, yeah. well, it's still cable. Same so. as Louis, yeah. But yeah, but a great cast. Jenny Slate's in there. And and it, it's. I'll say, you've got Eric Stone Street. It's a terrifically funny cast and a terrifically funny film. Mm. Uh, arguably, it is a little bit too derivative of the very first Toy Story movie. But frankly, you'll be laughing so much you won't care. Yeah, you'll, and you'll just want to see the next film. You want to see. You really will. You want the more like, inevitable them. sequel, which will probably be an inverse on Toy Story 2. But uh, probably, yeah. I'm still going to watch it anyway <laughs> you are and you should because the film's brilliant so before we cut to the jump then let's uh, let's just take the time to do some plugs uh because we've got the podcast edition of the show to do we're not gonna be able to fit review of maggie's plan no. into the uh, into the actual show so that's for greta gerwig ethan hawk it is indeed yes, yes. uh greta gerwig ethan hawk uh directed by rebecca miller mm. who do you know who rebecca miller's husband is by the way no daniel day lewis <laughs> really yes I didn't know this either. I, wow. I, I just told me the other day. I was like, I was shocked. 
Lincoln himself. She is also the daughter of Arthur Miller. God, there's some pedigree in my family, isn't there? Imagine being in that house, I know. Uh, So yeah, we're not going to be able to fit that in, so we're going to have to do it in the podcast edition. So if you want to hear all of the film news that we don't get to cover, the review of uh, Maggie's plan, and of course, most importantly of all, the moment of Cage for this week, because we've always got to have a moment of Nicolas Cage in every show, uh, download the free podcast edition, which is basically just the radio version, but slightly extended on the back end. Uh, In the meanwhile, uh, we can do that on uh, Acast, iTunes, TuneIn, or what was the one I discovered last week, Deezer. Oh yeah, we're yeah. on Deezer. We're on Deezer. Wow. Yeah, because I didn't know this. I've been using Deezer recently, and I, I discovered we're on it. So that was a, a weird moment. Are we on Spotify? No, they've not started doing podcasts yet. Apparently, they, they're starting it this year. Apparently, so we'll make we sure we'll be. There. We'll be on there eventually. Yeah. Um, but say so you can also download it from onscreenfilm.com, which is where you can also enter our competitions, and there's, there's loads of them on there now. Mm. You can go on when when DVDs, price sets, the works—they're all on there. We are also running a new thing as of this week. You're gonna like this case. Oh yeah. Starting at four PM on Wednesday, July the sixth, which is actually two minutes ago for us pre-recording. Um, <laughs> I feel we, like I've come back in time. We have technically we've, we've yeah. messed with the time stream. We want to know what the worst movie you've ever seen is. So, Whoa, that is a broad question. That is a broad question. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Ever. Ever. Any any genre. Any, ever. Any filmmaker. I chose the 2005 Mila Jovovich sci-fi vampire movie Ultraviolet. Oh, that's pretty horrendous. It's pretty horrendous. Um, we want to know what, what is the worst film you've seen, and in a very, very brief description, why. Uh, so tweet us, at onscreenfilm, um, go on the Facebook page, email us, at, we're info at onscreenfilm.com. Um, email us, we just want to know, and the best ones we're, we will read we're, out on the show. We're just harbouring negativity and We, we want to fester, we like the, we like the slime oh, in Ghostbusters 2. That's it. what we are, we are the pink mm. ooze. We, we want to fester on your eight. So please, throw us your cinematic rage. Just tell us the worst movie you've ever seen, and we will we'll, we'll, we'll repeat them all on air. Mm. We will have to bleep the cursing, though, for <laughs> obvious reasons. And just for the record, worst ever. Not the worst one you've seen this week. Because I've had, I tried this on my personal Facebook feed, and okay. I, had, I had people throwing Deadpool at me. And oh, really? I know. And my response was, if the worst movie you've ever seen <laughs> is Deadpool, I want your life. Yeah, exactly. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. Bit of John Williams guitar as ever. So, shall we look at River then, which is an intriguing uh, little one. It's kind of a Midnight Express, Red Corner kind of thriller. Uh, you've got an American doctor played by Rossi Sutherland, who's a son of Donald and half-brother of Kiefer. Would you oh, believe? no way. Yeah. Cool. And, and you wouldn't think it's a look because he has sort of a, a a John Krasinski type look. He does, yeah. He, he I've looks, just been on his IMDb profile. He looks halfway between John Krasinski and a Hemsworth. I would say. If you Hemsworth the, with a beard, yeah. Hemsworth with a beard. That, that. So he is a young American doctor. He's working in Laos um, in, in a sort of mission. He takes a couple of days out after a particularly uh, troubling day, and he finds himself in a bar in, in a sort of very remote region. Um, he encounters two drunk Australians. One's getting a little bit handsy with one of the local girls, and they have an altercation whereby the Australian man is, is then killed. And almost completely by accident. And uh, it soon emerges that the the Australian is, in fact, the son of an Australian senator. And our our protagonist finds himself on the run, effectively, and forced to negotiate his way across Laos and into Thailand in order to find sanctuary. Uh, we have actually spoke, sat down and spoken to uh, Rossif Sutherland. Mm, yes, we did. So we'll have a clip, and then we'll, we'll talk to Rossif. This one girl, she, she couldn't have been more than 90 pounds. Her name was Nain, I think. Can I see your passport, John? 
Sorry, just um, give me a sec. Please, please, let me explain. It's okay. Yeah, hi, it's Bev. No, those uh, fax dip notes we received this morning. Can you read them to me again? Has a time been set? No, that's good. Thank you. Did you come here to turn yourself in? Rossif, thank you for speaking to us. Yeah, no, my pleasure. The film River, really interesting project. This is set in Laos and Thailand, I believe. You, you actually spent a great deal of time there yourself, apparently, in the past. The director had. And he wrote most of it while he was uh, while he was there a few years ago when his father passed away and, and he was feeling this uh, rage of injustice. And, uh, and so the subject of, you know, what would happen if a good person were faced with... Uh, with uh, with a crossroad, and uh, and he made what ultimately would be considered a bad decision, although he was doing it for all the right reasons. Um, and how do you live with yourself after that? So uh, he was uh, he was seeing red, and he got to see red quite a bit while we were shooting too. Um, it was a very difficult film to shoot. Um, he had very limited means and not a particularly uh, cooperative environment. Um, with uh, no film infrastructure, and, um, but it ended up uh, it ended up, I guess, all helping us in the end because we had little money, so we got out of we couldn't you know we couldn't uh, really um, be bribed for anything. Uh, <laughs> they couldn't ask us money to uh, to have permission to shoot in certain locations and. And we, it was a small crew, so we didn't bother a lot of people, and we got away with the with the shooting, I guess, in the guerrilla filmmaking style, where you just uh, point a camera into a crowd and and have a character run through it, and there were no release forms, so you didn't have to make anybody sign uh, release forms, uh, as far as them having their faces in a film, as you would you know, in most other places in the world. Um, so we uh, we actually felt like thieves over there <laughs> because we were we were just stealing images and and um and uh, but and we all we all kind of went through the story of the character that that I was playing, uh, because we were very much a crew on the run. Um and uh Trying to stay away from authorities and and uh, but we uh, yeah it was uh, it was it was unlike any adventure that I've I've gone on um, it was organized and extraordinarily disorganized it was organized in the sense that we had all the tools we needed uh, we also had the will. But uh, from one day to the next, oftentimes we wouldn't know where we would get to shoot, and uh, if we would have permission to shoot there, and and things just by some miracle seemed to line up, and uh, yeah. So I wonder if I can just ask you about working with Jamie because this is his first uh, feature. Um, what is it about uh, about Jamie uh, Jamie himself that made you made you in- invest in him, put your faith in him for his first big film? Uh, well, I mean, I'm a I'm very much a newcomer too, so I mean, it's it's the question goes both ways. I guess you know you could you could, you could very well ask him that about me, but I uh, um 
it's you know there, there's a lot of blind trust uh, you know it's uh it's like going out on a date with somebody there's that that attraction at first and um and then there's the faith of maybe there's promise in this relationship and also just the desire that it could work out um ultimately when you sign on to something it's not like i can you know, break up the date in the middle of dinner. I'm signed on to a picture, so I'm I'm there for the whole shoot. But uh, you, you, um, it just seemed like such an intriguing adventure, and the passion he had, it, um, the talent, the will, the will I knew he had, the talent I I recognized at least some in him, and uh, and then it was it was very much. Uh, love and war. I mean, uh, we were very much on the same page and very passionate and, and we butt heads a bunch and, but it was all to try and make this very, um, this adventure with very limited means just have it rise up to the occasion, whatever that was. And, uh, so, um, so yeah, we lost our temper and we, uh, um, it was, uh, and then we've become, you know, lifelong friends as a result. I say the film has its natural comparison points in thrillers such as uh, Red Corner and, and features like the classic American adrift in a situation that's the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time sort of a genre. Were there any of your own personal favorites that you brought in your head to the role? Not really. I, I don't really crowd my head with that. And I would disagree with you that it's the wrong person in the wrong place. I, I would think it's the right person in the right place just does the wrong thing. Um He's ultimately, you know, he's a doctor. He's a very smart person. He has all the tools at his uh, disposal to uh, reason through that situation. He does something that I guess a lot of us would do, which is that when you're in the face of terrible injustice, you the animal in you comes out and you see red and and uh, and you you take justice in your own hands. I mean, literally. He kills him with his own hands, and and then it's uh, about what does it mean to be free. You've mentioned about the uh, the difficulty of, of filming uh, in in a, such a remote and isolated part of the world. Do you think that uh, in some way gave you a lot more freedom? That helped with the independent spirit of the production. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I mean, the uh, uh, we had very little money, but that money went a lot further there than it would have uh, pretty much anywhere. The fact that there was no infrastructure was was a, a great disadvantage because it didn't facilitate things, but it also meant that we could kind of lead the way. Um, There's a communist dictatorship, um, but they they were very intrigued about having uh, uh, an Occidental production come and shoot a film and take advantage of their landscape. Um, it was uh, it was a double-edged sword. Uh, there was a lot of anxiety making it. Was part of that anxiety being that you had to carry so much of the film yourself? Yeah, I mean, if I suck, the film absolutely sucks. And, I, and I'm not saying that I was great in it, by, by no means. Um, I, I tried to stay as true as I could be. And, you know, my ambition has never been to be the best actor in the world, but possibly the best actor that I could be. And um, I, uh, 
Yeah, I lived that part, um, and it, it was not enjoyable. A lot of my experience had to do with with me signing on because I I could I could relate to the character sure, but I could really relate to the director. River is on DVD and on demand from Monday, July the eighteenth. Thank you very much, Rossif. My pleasure, man. Take care. This is the first feature feature length film by uh, Jamie Dagg. He's directed a couple of shorts in the interim, and um, I will say, I mean, for one thing, the film on the most part is very good. Um, I like uh, Rossif Sutherland's central performance. I think he's very. There is sort of an everyman quality to him. There's they've not amped up the sort of heroic lantern jawed American factor of the character, which I think is something the film benefits hugely from. It's very much a sort of. I mean, d- despite what he will tell you, it is a wrong pla- wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of story, and he really sells that. He really sells the it could happen to you sort of an element. There is nothing inherently heroic to the character. He is. Just like you or I. Perhaps not as schlubby as, as you or I, though, guys. <laughs> but, uh... What are you calling a schlub? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's no flannel shirts in this one. Anyway, um, Jamie Dagg, though, really nails this one with uh, with his direction, which is very much a, a classically framed, horror movie-inspired kind of a take. It's very much gone from for a, not, for, for a non-sensationalist kind of a style. Even though the story is, you know, it's a thriller, it, it is a traditional thriller in that Midnight, Midnight Express kind of a way, it is still real world set and it's very very integral that it stays gritty, that it stays grounded, that it stays reality based. It does not feel so much like a film as it does just an indie drama, but the thriller element is is palpable. Um, I did very much like the the central performance I liked the direction to it and the story did interest me. I wasn't too enamoured with its ultimate conclusion which I think is a little bit uh, really, and I think that does let down what otherwise is a really compelling film, but otherwise I, I'd rather liked it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. Beard of Top Gun. What's happened to that sequel? Is Top Gun 2 still happening? I don't think so. I think it's, think. This is the thing. I think it's have... pr- pretty much grounded. Uh, <laughs> really? It's, uh, it's been grounded. It's been grounded. Wasn't it going to be Tom Cruise and drones for the sequel? Isn't that not going it to be was, the thing? It was, and he was going to be teach people how to fly the drones and stuff. Mm. And um, Yeah, it's interesting enough kind of concepts. And I think the Joe Buckheim is still trying. Mm. He's, he's got fingers in a lot of well, financially successful pies. Between uh, Good Kill and Eye in the Sky, though, I think the drone thing has been covered. covered. It's yeah. covered, yeah. It's all good. Mm. I mean, did you see Eye in the Sky in the end? No, I did. I, really I heard some good things, actually. Really yeah. interesting drama. A little bit one-sided, but really interesting. From uh, the filmmaker who brought us uh, the X-Men uh, Wolverine Origins <laughs> yeah. film. X-Men it? Origins Wolverine. Wow. The man who killed Deadpool for like a decade. <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, actually, you know, we were talking about, uh, we briefly mentioned Hemsworths, by the way, about mm. that. Uh, let's talk about the USDA-approved Hemsworth, Mr. Scott Eastwood. Yeah. He, he's your all-American Hemsworth. He's, he he's your American yeah. alternative. And he's got an interesting new job, and I think you're quite excited about this as well as I. And yes. this is uh, he's being courted for a lead role in Pacific Rim 2, or Pacific Rim The Sequel, or Pacific Rim Maelstrom, or Pacific Rimia. I don't know, whatever's, whatever it's going to be called. It's a dangerous word to play with, isn't it? Rim? It is. It looks like he'll be starring alongside John Boyega. So, yeah. we, so we, we, where is Charlie Hunman? Where is he? I don't know. Well, I think he's. I think since John Boyega is going to be playing Idris Elba's son, yeah, it's going to be set a few years in the future. Yeah, that would make sense. It would make sense because if Idris Elba's character had a son, John Boyega's age in the first film, he would have been involved. 
and it's it's odd to yeah. me that he wasn't. So I think well, I think it's going to be set in the future. Yeah. That would explain how Charlie Hunnam's not necessarily going to be. There. But it also means we're not necessarily going to get Max Martini back as your favourite character name, Hercules Hanson. Hercules Hanson. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, let's move on then to uh, a Hercules of an entirely different kind, who is of course. The legend of Tarzan. That's impressive, isn't it? That, that's that is, some that is, great A yodeling. What's his name? Johnny. Well, the, the original Tarzan yodeler. Yeah, the original Tarzan was uh, Johnny Wise. 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 Weisten. Oh, I forget. Wise Mueller. Wise Mueller. Wise Mueller. Yeah. Did you know he was an Olympian? I didn't know. Yes, that. I did. Yeah. I didn't know. It, it would make sense how he could like like project. Yeah. And, and he stuff, and he did yeah. it every time. Hmm. He did it. That perfect yodel every I time. I mean, if I, if I could, I'd be doing it right oh, now. Of course. Yeah. So, of course, he's not in, in. He doesn't even cameo in The Legend of Tarzan, which I think is. I, well. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's. He's he's long dead. Well, he's on YouTube still. He's an old guy. He's, I've seen clips of him on YouTube. Is he still alive? I, I think he is. Oh, but good for you, Johnny. Good if, for you. If he's not, I apologise. Yeah. Um, so, this is uh, Alexander Skarsgård stepping in. And you know what? When he puts on a British accent, he really does sound like his dad. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> it's very strange. You are listening to the voice of Stellan Skarsgård, but in this very ripped, very cut, very muscular package. And so this takes place eight years after the events of what we know as Tarzan. This is a classic reboot quill, as it were. You know, like, in the way that Alice in Wonderland was a, a sequel that was sort of reboot, mm. uh, and Mask of Zorro, quite famously, sequel that also reboots the story. And this owes a lot to Mask of Zorro. There's a lot of that to it. And the, the heroes come about from about the same kind of period, so it makes sense. Um, what we've got here is the Belgian government, the Belgian monarchy, sorry, has taken ownership of the Congo in the late 19th century. Uh, they are in tremendous debt, and in order to pay off this debt, the Belgian king Leopold uh, has sent his his emissary, his right-hand man, Mr. Rom, played by <laughs> none other than, than your Christoph Waltz. Your man Chris Waltz. He's actually got a moustache in it, hasn't and he? He does have does a moustache. Does he twirl he has, it away? He has a moustache, a linen suit, and a murder gimmick. Because you've got to have a murder gotta gimmick. you got to have a murder gimmick if you're going to be the villain of a piece. If you're Christoph Waltz, you've got to have a murder gimmick. Yeah. And he's got a doozy of a one. I won't spoil it for you, but he's got a murder gimmick, and it's a good one. Um, so, Leon Rom goes into the jungle, into the, into the Congo, and he tracks down the African chief Mabongo, played by Yaman Jamon Hunsu. Oh, I love Jimon. I know. Who doesn't love Jimon, man? And uh, he has one demand, and one demand only. Is it to play Seal in a film? It is not to play Seal in a film. Damn. Yeah, I know. He's the only person who could play Seal in a film. I don't know. You and I have seen a film in which Seal plays a pretty convincing Seal. <laughs> but we can't talk about it. We can't talk about that. No, never mm. mind. Um, so, uh, Jamon Hunsu has one demand, and that demand is, bring me the man who killed my son. And Christoph Waltz's brilliant, uh, brilliant response, which is not edited in the in the way that it should have been. His response is, "All I need is a name." This is the very beginning of the film. Rather than have "All I need is a name" and then smash cut to the legend Tarzan. of Tarzan, no, they carry it on a few minutes and spoil that fun. That could have been brilliant. That's so, a shame. The Belgian government sends an invitation to Tarzan, now John Clayton the Third, the Lord of Greystoke, who is living in England with wife Jane, and he's basically treated as a celebrity. He is, as Samuel Jackson puts it, oh, he's in the movie by the way. Samuel Jackson puts it, he is Africa's favourite son, and Tarzan goes back to the Congo on a diplomatic mission, taking with him. Sam 
Samuel L. Jackson's George Washington Williams, mm. an American agent who wants to investigate these rumours he's heard about secret slave trades in Africa. Uh, based on a real guy. Probably. Based on a real guy. Mm. Actually, it wouldn't terribly surprise me. Um, he's, he's a former soldier turned sort of government enforcer. Yeah. Um, along, No sooner have they arrived in the Congo, however, than Jane, who's played by Margot Robbie in this incarnation, has been kidnapped, dragged down the river, along with a bunch of their tribal sort of friends from the events of the original Tarzan. Mm. And Tarzan and George Washington Williams basically team up, buddy movie style, to trek into the jungle together in the pursuit of Jane. We have a clip. Keep your voice low. That them? You don't want to do that, George. Kill one and the rest won't stop until they're torn you to pieces. So how you want to play this thing? Their leader will come down and we'll fight. Whatever happens, do not interfere. Understand? Mm-hmm. Promise me. I told you, didn't I? He sounds he just sounds like Stone Skarsgård. He yeah. does, doesn't he? Um, so this is the thing: as as an entertainment property, it does feel like we're never particularly <laughs> far away from Tarzan. It seems like he's always mm. around, and we don't have a movie every week or anything. It's no. not like that. It's not like Spider. It's always quite hard to get just right. Yes, it is. But yeah. I mean, in the last two decades, we've had uh, we've had not one but two animated films: the Disney one and the rubbish one. Uh, we had a cancelled and very underrated TV series starring Sarah Wayne Callies and Travis Fimmel, who, of course, then went on to you know basically play that character in Vikings and earn a hell of a fan base in the process. Uh, he turns up in uh, Maggie's Plan, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and we also had a an actual movie starring Casper Van Dien. So yeah. yeah, so John, John he's he's well. been around. There's, there's something like fifty different incarnations. There is. There, yeah. there are so many different versions. It feels like he's never far away, and yet here we are. We've got another version, and frankly, about five minutes into this film, which directed by the way by David Yates, who did the last, last four. three, three last or four, 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 four last four Harry Potter movies. He's oh. doing their Fantastic Beasts as well. He is, and that comes into play with this film, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So yeah. within about five minutes of this film, you are glad it exists because they have nailed the nostalgic fun and that's the difficult part to get right I think well there's two parts to get right to a Tarzan movie one is get the nostalgic fun down and the way they've achieved it is by going for the Mask of Zorro stakes and this don't get, this is not a patch on Mask of Zorro like this this has not got you know Anthony Hopkins in, in, in that, that wonderfully unbuttoned shirt that he had with his oh, with the long flowing hair yeah, with the mustache. long flowing hair and the pointy moustache but this has not got that this is not that kind of fun but it has got that romping old time pulpy feel good adventure tone and yes thank you brilliant well done what they have also done is they have cast Tarzan perfectly. Hmm. I confess, I was I went in with trepidation about oh it's it's the True Blood guy. It's gonna be, this is going to be rubbish. It works because he has mastered the idea. This has always been the the second thing you have to get right with Tarzan, which is hmm. yeah you, you have to have the physique, sure, but more importantly you have to be able to do the soulful side of that character because it's a, a very human mm. character it's an almost ironically human character yeah. and well, as, as an actor he doesn't really choose these kind of roles very often I can't think of another like, 
big budget action flick that he's been in the last well, he's couple not of years. Yet, so it, it's not he pretty much yet. went from True Blood to just doing smaller indie kind of films. He turned up in that one, The East, didn't he? I thought that he, was going to oh, be with, the big... with, with Ellen Page. Um, what yeah. was uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl? Both, both yes, kind of well. flicks, yeah. So he has gone for more dramatic stakes mm. and <laughs> must run in the family. But uh, <laughs> but hey, you know, Stellan did a Marvel movie or two here and there. Here or there. You've, but, you've got uh, to earn, earn the money. Yeah, you've got to pay the mortgage yeah. sometimes. But um, this is the thing here. It does work. He works perfectly as Tarzan. The tone works. The buddy, the buddy movie aspect, that works. And you would think that turning Tarzan into a buddy movie would be horrible. That that would just be absolutely against yeah. the con- against the philosophy of it. It just simply wouldn't work. And yet, it's Samuel L. Jackson being Samuel L. Jackson in that way that only Samuel L. Jackson can be. And it, what you've got is a case of the imitation game, where you know this is a great performance for any other actor, but for this specific actor, it's Thursday. And yeah. yeah, Samuel L. Jackson just turns just up, delivers, delivers his shtick, and yet, check. Yeah, yeah, romping fun. That's that's the best way to call it, romping fun. It is a little bit depressing that Margot Robbie is relegated to pretty much, you know, hostage <laughs> to just to playing Jane. Yeah, she's playing Jane, yeah. and the movie likes to threaten you with this idea that she's going to be something more. And the way in which it basically gets a pass on this is by giving her character essentially the smarts of the movie. She does get the wit. She does get the I'll put you in your place element. And there is a, there is one scene with her and Christoph Waltz that you just sit and think, really, this is a bit on the nose for a, for a, P, a PG-13 for a 12A. A, there is a moment in which she uh, not so subtly insinuates a relationship between uh, Christoph Waltz and his childhood priest. Um, I, 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 I know, I know, in a 12A Tarzan movie. Um, then you've got Christoph Waltz, and like I say, you know, he's got, the, he's got the tash, he's got the linen suit, he's got the murder gimmick, and what's not to love? This is the kind of character you wished he'd been Inspector. That he just was denied, and and oh, something really fun. I'm going with the Mask of Zorro parable. You know how uh, in Mask of Zorro you had the captain, the army captain, who was played by Eobard was... Thorn. He was played by Eobard Thorn from the Flash. Did, did you looking like you didn't know that? No, I I feel That's... like all the planets have just aligned, yeah, yeah, and my yeah. brain has just been puzzled. Like, the the captain, the captain that uh, yeah, with, with looks yeah. a bit like like a General Custer kind of with the head, yeah. Oh, so what exactly? So yeah, remember, it was Eobard Thorn from the Flash, from the Flash. In, in Mask of Zorro. That's great. This time around, there is a parallel character, not used quite as well, but he is played by. Get this. Legends of Tomorrow's Vandal Savage. <laughs> it's, oh, no way. <laughs> it's just a weird bit of sort of catharsis there. Yeah. Um, I say, it is fun. The action works. There's some absolutely exhilarating set pieces. The vine swinging things are basically played, the vine swinging scenes are played as if they are real world parkour and they don't feel forced. They, they do work. There are a couple of moments in which it pushes credibility with Samuel L. Jackson's character because you look at him thinking, surely you're about 60 years old. Um, the script, for the most part, is quite witty, quite clever. There are faint issues to it. Um, I will, I will point out. I found it very odd, for instance, that you have Samuel L. Jackson starring as George Washington Williams in this movie, to which a central plot point is slavery and forcing African chieftains to to, to trust you, to put their faith in you, mm. and yet it never once comes up that Samuel L. Jackson himself is a black man. And you, you wind up coming out of the film scratching your head, thinking, "Did I? Is there a deleted scene? Did I miss something?" It, <laughs> Seems odd. The other thing is, correct me if I'm wrong, you know in the marketing, is there not a voiceover by John Hurt? It sounds like it. I'm it pretty sure like there is. Him, yeah. It's not in the film. 
It's not in the film. Um, only other real drag factor of the film is there are far, far too many unnecessary flashbacks. Mm. And I mean all the way through the film. Not in the beginning, not Batman Begins style. Although it is worth pointing out that, you know, Tarzan was the Dark Knight before it was cool. And they, they do play up this Batman-like aspect of Tarzan. You know, the whole disappear into the shadows, reappear from above you aspect. They've done it, they've done it very well. I really bought into it. I found it really, really fun. As I say, it is not as good as The Mask of Zorro, which is, for me, Martin Campbell's I'm, best film. I'm watching that tonight. It, one of those films, isn't it, that when someone just mentions every it... Every couple of years. Yeah, when just... someone mentions it, you have to watch it. You're like, oh my god, yeah. I love that movie. It's just, it is, it's a yarn, isn't it? It it's is. Just, Don't ever watch the fun. sequel, but watch the first one. Maybe watch the sequel once, no. and then originally watch oh, the Oh, the sequel's one. so bad. Was it Martin I Campbell? I think so. And Did he do the sequel? Is Rufus Sewell the bad guy? Yes, Rufus Sewell is the bad guy, yeah. Yeah, he's always oh, the guy oh. to get when you've got just, you've got like a couple of Bob left for, Un- for your villain. Unless it's gone to yeah, Egypt, unless it's gone to Egypt. Well, he's not even the main bad guy in that film. He's like, he's, uh, drag, but, uh, he's a bad guy's lackey. <laughs> yeah, you don't cast Rufus Sewell to be your lackey. 15 years ago, Rufus Sewell would have been the main bad guy. In yes, God's yeah, he absolutely yeah. would. I, I still think he should be. Um, no, but say... Overuse of flashbacks, that's a real drag factor. But other than that, you will have fun. And what you've got is a nuts and bolts, fun and fun, frolicking and slightly flimsy alternative to The Mask of Zorro. And I'm cool with that. I am overly enamoured with it. I, I, I really suckered for it. I really did. I really, really had a good time with it. Um, I think, to be honest, I just came out of it and thought, right, can we have The Shadow and The Phantom now, please? You know, because uh, uh, I think that could work. I watched The Phantom recently. Really? The Billy Zane one? The, yeah. Who do you get put to a play? cork in Zane. <laughs> Who do you get to play the Phantom now? That's I the don't question. know. Let's think about it. We'll talk about it in podcast extras. We, we shall. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's, we'll cut to the jump then. We'll come back and we'll review that magic movie that's out. Mm. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So, uh, from the dizzying highs of the legend of Tarzan to, well, something a little lower, but we'll get to that in a minute. So let's talk. Let's do some film news real quick. Mm. Um, we didn't get to talk about this last week because it happened just after we uh, we did the show. Wreck-It Ralph 2. Yeah, that's happening. It's going to be a thing. We're yeah. actually getting a... It's, it's official. It's now official. It's, it's it got a, a date. date. It's pretty much got a synopsis as well. Yeah. A very loose synopsis. Yeah, what but... was the synopsis? Because you told me this in the gym the next day. That it's essentially moved from the arcade to the internet. Brilliant. That's going to be... Your, that's where all the fun, all the action's going to happen. So it's going to it's going to encompass things like Google mm. and Amazon and Netflix and social media and and Tumblr. And, I always so, wondered. Yeah. And Elf Yvonne Sweet's on Tumblr, that, that kind of thing. Really? I love yeah. that idea. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I always wondered, oh, God, she's going to be like the subject of like a Candy Crush-style app, isn't she? You would think, yeah. Oh, so, but um, that, be, that would work, though. I always wondered, though, right, if you unplug the arcade machine, yeah. right, does, does that mean they like, have to know it's coming and they run down the power cord and they go into the extension lead where they have mm. the hub? Do, what happens if you unplug it before they manage to escape? Do they die? Is that how it works? Also, does this mean there are multiple clones Dark. of each game? Because there's obviously so many units. I, actually, yeah, I did wonder when when I saw that. That, that was one of but if my they, If they mass-produced the arcade yeah. machine, they make yeah. three million arcades. There'd be a bunch of Ralphs There'd stuff. be three million Ralphs in the world. Yeah. No, that's, that is what I thought when I watched that film. And I thought, if they do a sequel, maybe that's something that would yeah. come into play. Maybe it would. That would be amazing. I'd love to see that. Uh, we, weird one, this one, because I, is it no, I don't know if this is known in the UK. I know it, but I had a somewhat Americanized upbringing. So, um, right. Clifford the Big Red... Red bleh, Clifford the Big Red Dog. 
I, I know of his work. You know of his work? Yes. Right. Apparently there's something like 26 books. Yeah. Uh, they are now being made into a live-action CG animated hybrid movie by Paramount. They have bought the rights to this. This is happening. It's going to be done in the vein of that cinematic classic, The Smurfs, and that other cinematic classic, Yay. Garfield. So, Yay. Did anybody like Garfield? Even Bill Murray doesn't like Garfield. No. I love Garfield as a character yeah. and the original show, and I feel like he embodies my life because I love lasagna and I hate Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I want on I always identified with Odie personally. but yeah. Also, I'm sorry, but if you make a Garfield movie and you don't get Steve Buscemi to be uh, oh, God, John to be... Arbuckle, then... Yeah, to be John. Well, then, I mean, now it'd be like Jason Bateman. or uh, Oh, you get Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman, or possibly Jason Sudeikis in I a I thought pinch. of uh, who would play the Phantom. Go on, who would play the Phantom? Kevon Jane Wallace. Why? Why? Just thinking out of the box. <laughs> thinking out of the box. <laughs> you could have just gone with, I don't know, Adam Rayner or something. But Adam Rayner? What? A tyrant's about to start back on FX. Okay. I'm a big fan. I like Adam no. Rayner. Hashtag Kavonjane for Phantom. Uh, Adam Rayner did star mm. in a pilot for a new version of The Saint, I'll have you know, that never got aired. And in this, in the new version, The Saint had a girlfriend character played by Eliza Dushku. So I like Eliza Dushku. Who doesn't love Eliza Dushku? But uh, anyway, so let's let's move on then to uh, some actual cinematic magic rather than the magic of Eliza Dushku. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Now You See Me Too, which is the John M. Chu directed sequel to 2013's Louis Leterrier helmed Now You See Me. Why isn't this called Now You Don't? I I don't know. It, it, apparently, it was originally entitled Now You See Me: The Second Act, and. Yeah. Well, believe me, if they'd called it Now You Don't, it would have been a much more fitting title. But uh, <laughs> right, It's one year on from the events of Now You See Me. Uh, just, a, just a spoiler alert, by the way. If you've mm. not seen Now You See Me, you can't accurately describe the plot of the second one without actually talking about the end of the first one. And there's quite a big spoiler. There is quite the a big one, spoiler. Yeah. So you've got the four horsemen, who are, who are the onstage magicians. They, they, would double, they have a double life as sort of Robin Hoods, as con artists, and they work this into their actual stage act. They are now down to two horsemen, because one, played by Isla Fisher, has quit because she's been made to sit on her hands for a year, and the other, uh, Dave Franco, has faked his death and is not really allowed to come back on stage, because to do so would defeat the object, and he faked his death in the first movie and the whole thing. They now also have a leader who was also the FBI agent who was trying to track them in the first movie, who's played by Mark Ruffalo, and he's Dylan Shrike. And the idea is now they take their orders from a secretive overlord known as the Eye. They team up with a new female magician because apparently they need a girl in the group, and she's played by Lizzie Kaplan and could not be more annoying if she tried. Believe me, worst thing about the film. Don't say that to me. And they, in the middle of in the middle of a new heist, their first heist in a year, which they in which they try to take down a Mark Zuckerberg like CEO, they find themselves becoming the target of an even more devious mastermind. And during this, they actually step down a construction chute. They put themselves down a construction chute in New York and find themselves instantaneously in China, where their new mastermind uh, villain is revealed to be none other than. Well, see if you can guess it from this clip. Ta-da! So happy to be working with you. Please come oh, in, come in. Wait, sorry, how are you working with oh, us? Well, in as much as a magician who pulls a rabbit from a hat is working with that rabbit. We'll be working together, yes. Um, allow me to introduce myself. Yeah, you're Walter Mabry. You died a year ago. Yes, an idea I got from you, Mr. Wilder. 
fake your death and the world puts its guard down. You see, you all want an audience. I, on the other hand, want the opposite of that. I just want to be, and, and I am, 100% off the grid. You know why? Yeah, because the grid is for actual human beings. <sighs> no, because in a world of total surveillance, the only true freedom lies in not being seen. Daniel Radcliffe, ladies and gentlemen. And Us Brits make great bad guys. Oh, yes, apparently we? so. He's got the most British name I've ever heard. Walter Braybury. <laughs> I know. It's worse um, than Wesley Snipes. Well, the problem with the film... Oh God, you're thinking of Michael Sheen I when am. you say that as well, aren't you, from Thirty Rock? Uh, the problem with this film is it has absolutely none of the wit, sparkle, or creativity of the first film. And it really shows in the fact that the, third, the first film was written by uh, three distinct writers... And only one of those writers has returned, and he's working solo this time. That is Ed Solomon. And he's written a script that manages to take all of the now-you-see-me-now-you-don't sort of trickery of the first film. Because the first film played, for all intents and purposes, like a magic act. In that brilliant way that The Prestige played like a magic act. It was fantastic. It was this fun little magician's romp. Who couldn't love it? And Louis de Terrier brought all this energy and all this dazzle to it, and it really worked. What you've got here is a writer who can't duplicate the success of his peers from last time, a director who tries to live up to what's come before, despite the fact that he's a concert movie maker, has tried to, to match the energy of Louis de Terrier and really just feels like a kid wearing his dad's coat. You've got Daniel Radcliffe, who is just the least threatening villain you've ever seen. A plot which you can just see every twist and turn coming a mile away. A cast that just seemed like, frankly, they're beneath this. And the only sort of real delight you get out of it is basically in the in the interplay. that You get the delight out of Woody Harrelson and Dave Franco. I mean, there's a new character introduced in this who... <laughs> not really a spoiler alert as well. It's not in the trailers. There is there is a character, an antagonist in this film, who is the twin brother of one of the existing characters, played by the same actor. And it doesn't work. It's too incredulous. It's too difficult to swallow. And frankly, it takes this from the already far-fetched realms of the first movie into out-and-out cartoonishness. It frankly is not a patch on the first film. And I know I like the first film more than a lot of people do, but... <laughs> This is just dreadful. This is really. Do I own it on, on Blu-ray? Is that what you're pointing out? Do yes. I, I didn't even realise I owned it on Blu-ray. Um, it, it's just. It should have been called "Now You See Me." Now you don't, because that's what you should do. Don't see it. Don't under any circumstances see it. If you've not seen the first movie, don't see it anyway, because the first one is infinitely better. Just go and buy the DVD of the first movie and do not see the second. It is awful. And also, I'm going to put this out there. There is a, 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 a big reveal, a big twist in this film, as regards Daniel Radcliffe, right? And is he Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that a reveal? That's it, that's his reveal. He's Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> there is a big reveal, and it is ruined by literally the first cast photo they released of this film. And it's so annoying, because when it's ruined, you're like, I don't care. The one, one credit I'll give it, there is an action sequence, a set piece involving Mark Ruffalo taking on just like, 20 guys, mm. and Mark Ruffalo with his magician's training. It, it's fantastic. It's an absolutely brilliant sequence, and you wish the movie had more of mm. that, but unfortunately, the first act is trying to justify making a sequel to a film that shouldn't have had one. The second act is, let's keep tripping over our own feet while we try and justify ourselves further. And the third is, I mean, it's a ridiculous heist notion. It's, it's gone to Ocean's Eleven territory. And then the, the finale is, we're back on form, but you've already been here for the better part of two hours, so you probably don't care. And 
yeah, that's it. Don't mm. care. And I really do care about the first movie, so I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed by that. It's not film of the week, anyway. What a shocker. Well, I know, I know, but I think we know where film of the week's going. Of course, it's Legend of Tarzan. Uh, but we have got, you know, we've got an interesting week next week. It's going to be some some novelty next week. You're going to see a film before me for a change as well. I am. You're, of course, going to see none other than... Who are you going to call? So, Sunday for you, and I think Monday, Monday for me. We have also got the return of uh, two of our favourite comedians. This is going to be an interesting one. So, Keanu is upon us, finally. It's about time. It is, isn't yeah. it? Are you excited for Keanu? I am. I like cats, and I like Keanu Peel. <laughs> I like Keanu Peel, I like cats. What could possibly be wrong? <laughs> Throwing a pie, great. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just needs a bit of Nick Cage in your soul. Um, we've also got the horror, horror tale Baskin to come. We've got a, is it the fourth or fifth Ice Age movie now? The fifth. The fifth. Yeah. Ice Age Collision Course, which I think takes it to space. Because <laughs> where else do you go? Uh, we have also got uh, your man Mads. He's back. Men and Chicken. Mads Mickelson. Uh, we've got... Uh, I'm really excited. For I am as well. Apparently it's bonkers. Yeah, sure uh, we've got Summertime as well. And most importantly of all, the teaming up of two cinematic titans, Bruce Willis and Mark Paul Gosselaar. In precious cargo. So we've got all those to come next week and more off screen. This has been the Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we leave you with news that apparently we weren't the only ones that thought that Green Hornet was the lowest point of Michelle Gondry's career. It turns out Michelle Gondry thinks so as well. We'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras, then, Mr. Al. So, should we? We've got to talk about this this uh, this little legal technical quandary that's plaguing the film industry this week. So, mm. this is uh, okay. So, this is the Jennifer Lawrence movie Passengers, which is, as far as I know, it's not due out at Christmas. It was supposed to be, yeah. I thought it was Christmas this year. Mm. Now, apparently, it's been filmed. And over the course of filming it, they spent, they recorded two hours of facial motion capture of Jennifer Lawrence using a technology called MOVA. And I know, I know, you could have just asked your friendly neighbourhood hacker and he could have gotten you all this footage simply using an iCloud hack. That guy but was arrested. He was, he was he charged recently as well, day, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so they've got the footage of Jennifer Lawrence it's using this MOVA technology uh, capture, and they've not yet processed it, and it seems that any use of that technology is now the subject of a legal injunction since the technology is being disputed. Namely, over who owns it. We've got two different factions, and they are demanding that all films utilising technology get shut, get postponed. They're not allowed to make a profit from it, lest they, in turn, pay the wrong special effects company. Funnily enough, one film has skirted by on this one because they happened to have finished all their work before the injunction came down, and that was Beauty and the Beast. Cool. Which also answers a very big question about Beauty and the Beast. Chiefly in terms of how exactly were they going to do the clock, the teapot, the candlestick man. So we are actually going to have Ewan McGregor's face on a candlestick. This is actually something we're going to see. Yeah. but They've been quite weird about the marketing for that. They they weren't anywhere to be seen in that teaser. And uh, Mm. they've not said anything about how they're going... Like, it could be Ian McKellen dressed up like a clock. Really like, cool. literally in a latex clock outfit. <laughs> I, I can see that, I can see that. Yeah. But, say, the problem is they filmed Jennifer Lawrence, but they've not processed the effect. So, it sat on a shelf. It sat on a hard drive, on a shelf, hmm. being disputed. Which is a shame. If you've got any film, you might be up. Uh, yeah, i got a couple of pieces. Throw um, it on me. Throw uh, it on me. Luther, DCI. 
Do you it, see I Luther? Idris Elba. Uh, he is going to make the jump from being an actor, model... To a, to a DJ. To a DJ. He's going to do a song like at the end he's of the He's already though. a DJ. You know he is. <laughs> I know he is. <laughs> uh, he's going to uh, make a film. He's going to be uh, a director. He's going to make a film What's... called Yardie. Yeah, is, is this actually about Yardies? Um... <laughs> It says the basic the basic premise is about a drug uh, runner, a drug courier. So going, more or less, then <laughs> more or less, yeah. Who is transporting some cocaine from Jamaica to London, and basically he's decided to do that, and in doing so, has pulled a fast one on some of his mates and his cohorts, and now ah. they are after revenge. So he's on the run from people that want his drugs, basically. But um, yeah, I think it's something he could handle. It's like yeah, a layer I, cake. I, I don't kinda. really see uh, Idris Elba struggling with that, to be honest. He could, that guy could He's in it. his wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. He, he could, I, I'd, I'd imagine him to be quite a hands-on guy, given the various roles he actually takes on sort of behind the scenes, because he has been a producer on things. He has, yeah. He's been a producer on a few things. I mean, what was that awful movie he was in a few years ago? No Good Deed. No Good Deed. Pretty sure he produced that. But uh, no, that's just... And he is a producer on Luther, actually, as well. He is, yeah. He and, he and Neil Cross produced that together. I love Luther. Yeah, I know. I just... I kind of don't want it to come back after that last one, because... I don't know. I, I want it to because of that last one. I don't want. I don't want that to be the end of. Well, once you've removed my favourite character, there becomes very little point, and yeah. I refuse to believe that that character would go out that way. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. She'll come back. Uh, it's not that kind of show, though. But anyway, uh, so I tell you what. Let's 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 do Maggie's plan before okay. we before we before we move on. Then, so Maggie's plan, which is the new film from Rebecca Miller, aka Mrs. Daniel Day Lewis, aka Arthur Miller Junior. Um, which is could she really be Junior as a girl? I don't know. Does it work that way? Mm. Um. This is the story of Maggie, played by Greta Gerwig. She is a precocious sort of 30-something. She's worldly, I would say. But she's unlucky yeah. in love. She's, she's, a, she's, she's, a, a, she's like a Greta Gerwig type. She's a Greta Gerwig type, yeah. exactly. She suffers from that Morgan Freeman syndrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, exactly. So she, she has the great voice as well. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Mm. Hello, my name is Maggie. That could work. <laughs> I can't do the deep Morgan Freeman. No, you can't at all. <laughs> Stick to your Keanu Reeves. I remember the first time I met Andy Dufresne. <laughs> How often do you look at a man's shoes? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it's purposely why I always look at people's shoes now. Mm. But uh, anyway, so uh, Maggie is uh, you know a Greta Gerwig type. She's unlucky in love, but she's decided that at the age she is, she wants to uh, she wants to take on motherhood, and she don't need no man. Except for the, you know, genetic component of it. So she finds a donor in the form of an ex-boyfriend, played by Travis Fimmel. I told you he'd come up, by the way. So your man Tarzan, who's then become your man Ragnar from Vikings, mm. is now your man, whatever his name is in... Your man um, from Maggie's Plan. Your man from Maggie's Plan. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Your man, <laughs> I, will I, find, I will find I his I wish guy. his name was Stan, so he could have said, oh your man God. Stan from Maggie's Plan. <gasps> no, it's Guy. Oh. His name's Guy. <laughs> His name's oh, okay. Your y- y- guy from Maggie's plan then. Okay. So, um, no sooner has she attempted to inseminate herself though with his seed, than she enters into a relationship with a new friend, who's a worldly professor type played by e- uh, Ethan Hawke. Flash forward a few years, the pair are now married and have apparently a daughter of their own, who's you know, obviously three years old. Um. And although they have settled into the rigours of, of uh, a blended family life, he has children with his previous partner, played by Julianne Moore, they still struggle with the sort of uncertainties, the, the insecurities of domestic life in this in this setting. And Maggie herself sets out to basically work some devious plot machinations of her very own particular brand, we shall say, in order to basically bring these tensions to the surface and 
Well, in short, basically, everyone gets happy. Here's a clip. Can I join you? Sure. I knew this uh, Masai from Tanzania. You know, he was here to run in the marathon. And he t took everything about New York City in complete stride. You know, nothing fazed him until he saw a grown man following his dog and picking up his shit. He started laughing so hard he wept. I suppose that custom could seem strange, like, out of context. <laughs> What was that? Uh, I overheard your conversation about how like is a language prophylactic. Ah, yeah. What is fictocritical anthropology anyway? Well, it is a way of writing about anthropology that blends ethnographic observation, storytelling, and like theory. Do we have to walk in a circle or can we walk around the park? We can walk. <laughs> Give me a, a very big film with uh, the kind of people who still use flip phones. If you know what I mean. <laughs> so this, believe me when I tell you, Case, this you, you'll probably love this. You you really will. I this mean, is, I, I could have put five pounds on you just saying that. You probably could have. Yeah. Um, it's very much, it, it's like a, a hybrid of a Duplass Brothers film, a Noah Baumbach film, a Woody Allen film, all put in this giant blender and then... Ugh, thawed out and re thawed yeah. out and refrozen by Rebecca Miller. It's got a great cast. It, it has got a great yeah. cast, and of that great cast, first of all, everyone's great in it. Ethan Hawke is called upon to do nothing more than what Ethan Hawke generally does anyway, <laughs> yeah. which is be Ethan Hawke. And then you've got Greta Gerwig, who makes for a very likable, and she does have to carry the bulk of the film. Although there are times when this feels like a sort of contemporary update of Jane Austen's Emma, of all things. You know, the sort of mm. the freewheeling, scheming would-be dame with her own insecurities. It has that sort of vibe going for it. Um, it has its scene stealers, and those scene stealers are Julianne Moore, who is just going for this absolutely swinging from the rafters OTT Danish sort of dialogue, darling, and ha, you know, big loud performance <laughs> and then and then you've got Bill Hader who can simply walk into a room spout a single very droll line and have you howling in hysteria there is a moment in it in which because he plays a lawyer and it never seems to come up until very late in the film and he comes in and just says a line oh yes I, I won this court case it's what allows her to stay in in you know something yoga and me to me to wallow in self-pity you like, yes this is exactly the kind of humor this film needs they are the MVPs although the film is brilliantly structured in such a way that they can own the, they can own the scene but as soon as that scene over and we're back to you know Gerwig and, and Ethan Hawke we've we have forgotten about those other characters it doesn't steal the film just the scene um the problem with the film is it exists in an era in which we have the Duplass brothers Noah Baumbach and Woody Allen and as such does not break anything resembling new ground it feels very much been there done that it is a go around the block for everybody involved there's nothing new gained from this film and you will chuckle a few times and you'll get me a bit you know periodically you'll be you'll be interested you're not gonna be mm. bored but you are gonna come out and think <sighs> kind of just feels like a tuesday morning and you know, I, I really wanted something more. I wanted something more from this cast. I want something more from this writer and director. And really, can we not just get back to Bill Hader owning films again? Because I really want him to have a star vehicle. I really do. It's going to happen. He's got his own uh, show coming up. He has. HBO, yeah. HBO, yeah. The, Barry? Barry, that's the one. Yeah. But uh, I, like, I didn't dislike it. I was just underwhelmed by it. I liked it, but I, I was still underwhelmed by it. So I wouldn't say you, you can't call it a bad <clears> film by any stretch of the imagination. <clears throat> But uh, it's it's like ordering an expensive chocolate sundae and, and someone just brings you a can of ambrosia rice pudding and a spoon. 
kind of like that. You, you love you love the rice pudding, mm. but it's not what you asked for. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah. So what you got for me, news? Go on. Uh, I've got some pretty sad news. Pretty um, sad news. Uh, Robin Hardy, who was uh, the director of The Wicker Man, yes. uh, he sadly passed away. He uh, did last week. I think it was a day or two after our show, so we couldn't cover it last week. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty sad, sad news. news. He, he did uh, so the original, not the Nick Cage one. <laughs> no. And um, he, he did actually do his own follow-up in 2011. Yes, he called, did, didn't he? Was it The Wicker Tree? I think it was The Wicker Tree. Yes. Yeah, but um, I I love the original Wicker Man. Funnily enough, you so said much. to me this is in this is on Saturday at the Gin Festival when you said, "Oh, the director of the Wicker Man died," and I briefly paused. Neil Labute died. Yeah, you did say that, <laughs> <laughs> which shows how we differ. Even <laughs> even my love for Nicolas Cage can't overshadow my love of the Wicker Man. Yeah, and I'm on my so knees did. howling to the heavens. Why God? Why would you take the director of Lakeview Terrace? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> and. Kind of sticking with a theme, sadly. Yes. Um, yeah. The director of, uh, of Heaven's Gate and The Deer Hunter, yes. uh, Michael Gimino, who died which, as well. Michael Gimino, and that is very sad news. I have to ask, though, which do you think is the more profound film, Deer Hunter or Heaven's Gate? Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because The Deer Hunter was, it was the critical darling and it won mm. five or six Oscars and then. Heaven's Gate when that opened that basically killed the film industry it killed the film industry <laughs> was it, who was it, it, it bankrupted crazy uh, was it Columbia it was United Artists it was United Artists yeah the, the consequences of the ramifications for all involved in that film were just yes. insane but now it's kind of got a brand new audience it has got it's become a cult it has a, become a cult, cult oddity hasn't it yeah it's like. really strange how it's happened but um, it got reissued like two years ago it got, got a theatrical yeah, issue, and I think that's it? that's where it's got its brand new audience from, and people are hailing it as uh, like a delayed masterpiece now. But um, for me, yeah, Deer Hunter always is historical irony for you there. Yeah, uh, no, Deer Hunter is absolutely seminal though. Yeah, and I think because the Deer Hunter cemented certain stars for us. It did, yeah. Um, it, it's it's a to Christopher Walken's career, certainly. Yes, I think absolutely. It is. And and it was, I believe, it was a couple of years before Kramer versus Kramer for Meryl Streep. So it was, it was one of her first really big vehicles. And Robert De Niro and the guy John Voight. No, it's not John Voight. John Voight's in the it's Deer not, Hunter. It's not John Voight. It's John Voight. John Voight not in the Deer Hunter. No, and I know who you're thinking of. You're thinking of a guy I was about to talk about. Who is it? I've forgotten his name. He's in hair. He's in that hair. does not help me, Case. Oh, I've forgotten his name. <laughs> I'm sure it's John Voight. It's got to be. Have a look. I, I, I'm telling you now. You know, we have this other day and you're right, so you might be right. I, I, be, I bet you it's John Voight. Like here and now, I bet you it's John Voight. Let's have a look. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And... Damn it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish ever John Voight wasn't in it. Yes. Uh, John fantastic. Savage. John Savage. John That's Savage. Who... John, oh. ha- John Savage was in here. That's what I was trying yeah. to think of. But, well, I, um... I always think of him as Captain Ransom from Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, but John John Savage and Chris Fork and those were two guys that go to Vietnam. Rob De Niro stays You've got behind. A bit. And, Physically, yeah. John Savage and John Voight, not a whole world of difference there. Yeah, I will, I will <laughs> agree. But... Um, what was the other really good Michael Schumann film as well? Uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Oh, yes. Jeff Bridges and Clint Eastwood. Yep. Just, yeah, fantastic. Anything with Clint. Film. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. sadly missed. Yeah, so, Robin Hardy, Michael Cimino. It's, it's a very sad, sad pair to lose as well. It is, yeah. 2016 strikes again. Oh, God, this year. This this year is turning into just a, a bloodbath. Yeah. But... Um, Carolina Hearn passed oh, away yes, as well. Carolina... Not, not known for films, obviously, but... She had appeared in a few, though. She appeared in film, but she she was definitely more just royal family, Miss mm. Merton, more on the TV side of things. But yeah, that, that was a blow, especially coming after the 
passing of uh, uh, Victoria Wood as well. Yes. Ago. Just shocking. But uh, I tell you what, let, let's go from, from memorials to celebrations then. Let's talk about let's Albert it, Brooks. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. Albert Brooks is, is still with us, thankfully. And he uh, he's he's currently gaining some traction in Finding Dory, again, because there's an entire audience who know him solely as the voice of Marlon from uh, Finding <laughs> yeah. Nemo. And, uh, well, you, you and I, I think, know him as... Uh, who's the Simpsons character? Uh, oh, um, man. The awesome Simpsons character he like, played. from my favourite... You only moved my, twice. From my favourite ever episode of Simpsons. Hank Scorpio. Hank Scorpio. Yeah, Hank He's Scorpio. He's got a song at the end. Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I know I knew him from that. But also yeah. he's he's made he himself has written and directed some absolutely amazing movies. He has. Uh, my personal favorite is always Defending Your Life because mm-hmm. I I think it's a, a great romance. Uh, I like the Muse. You like you like the Muse. Oh, the Muse. Well, fair enough. Good. Um, what are the other ones? Looking for comedy in the Muslim world. Is one I've not seen that. <laughs> There's also Mother and Real Life. Mother, yeah, <clears> that was good. In order to uh, celebrate his mythical Made in America career, Netflix are uh, are releasing them all for the very first time mm. on a streaming platform together. I mean, the, the individual ones have been available here and there. Mm. This is the first time the whole set is going to be made available. And unfortunately, it's only been made available in the US on Netflix. But, uh, you know, you can cross your fingers and hope that uh, eventually it'll come to the UK. Because I, I would love to, you know, sit and binge watch them all. That'd be quite yeah, fun. Yeah, as would I, definitely. But uh, I, because I, this is the thing, there's another audience that knows him solely as the villain from Drive, which yeah, we, we tend to forget about. He's how the... how he wasn't nominated <clears throat> for Best Boy in Actor that year. He's the man that managed to uh, out-tough Ron Perlman. Yeah, Think about that for a second. Nemo's dad out-toughed <laughs> Hellboy. Yeah. That is terrifying. But uh, let's talk about uh, someone who's not really going to out-tough anyone anytime soon. Uh, Anthony Weiner, ladies and gentlemen. So this is a documentary. It's out uh, <laughs> every <Wiener>. time. <laughs> he, he's very aware of it. It seems from the documentary. Uh, he does point out that a lot of his troubles stem from the fact that he has a silly name. Um, my, uh, Anthony Weiner, if you're not familiar with him, he was a U.S. congressman who gained some traction, um, sort of in the late noughties, um, when he when he when he basically started challenging the establishment. He became a great politician for about five minutes. Mm. He was the man that stood up for the little guy. He championed what was right, and he smack-talked everyone standing for the side of wrong, for corporate interest, etc. And uh, this all came to a crashing halt in about 2011, 2013, 2011, I think, thereabouts, uh, when he was involved in a sexting scandal, when a happily married man uh, was was caught um, sending pictures of himself to women through private Twitter messages. Because apparently it never occurred to him that if you're a famous man, they might talk. But never mind. So he overcame the scandal, and two years later, he decided to reboot his career. He resigned, obviously, in disgrace. He decided to reboot his career, and he ran for mayor of New York. He ran to succeed Michael Bloomberg as the mayor. And what he did, because it was almost a given from minute one that he would win a mayoral election for New York. And to this day, a lot of people think that that was certainly the case. He commissioned a fly-on-the-wall documentary about his campaign. And that documentary is what we now have presented to us. But, owing to a second sexting scandal, which broke out in the middle of the mayoral campaign, the documentary soon takes a turn and soon becomes a chronicle of something entirely different. Here's a clip. What do you think? I don't know. Uh, you regret it? This is nasty, jackass. 
Has anyone ever told you it's hard to get you to talk about your feelings? Let me ask you something. Are there any, there must be some species of fly that stays on the wall and talks, but I've never heard of one. Usually, is, is the fly on the wall technique, isn't that have to do a little bit with the notion of not being seen or heard? You just kind of pick up what goes on around you? This is where you get to the, a, a strange contradiction in the film, and it's a brilliant contradiction. So the movie literally opens with Anthony Weiner sat in, I think it's the room of his home, talking to camera, just looking destroyed. And because obviously historically he was destroyed in the polls, he, mm. he lost to uh, de Blasio. And um, some great names. They do. I, you got to love U.S. politicians. Yeah. And he lost to de, to de Blasio. And uh, this this obviously has been the, the talking head portions have been filmed afterwards. It opens with him looking destroyed and just saying, "I can't believe it's come to this. I can't believe I'm now the subject of a documentary about it. It's just depressing." And you realise very very early on that he had commissioned this documentary effectively as a vanity, as a vanity project, as a celebration, to be a, look, we're going to celebrate my comeback. That's what's going to happen. Mm. He just didn't count on getting caught out a second time. And rather than simply shut it down and run the risk of what happened with, for instance, the Armstrong lie, where they just carried on halfway, they, halfway down, halfway through they got shut down, <clears throat> they just carried on and made it into a different documentary and folded it all in on itself. What he's done is simply Simply embraced it because a good part of his campaign after that second scandal, and it's a brilliant moment in the film, is one where he just throws caution to the winds and just goes, screw it. Screw it. You know what? I'm just going to call it everyone happened. out. And it happened. Yeah. I'm going to call everyone out and everything. And there's famous videos of him telling off guys who made comments to him. There's one in particular that involved his wife. A guy made a comment about his wife's ethnicity, and he absolutely crushed him. You've you've never been prouder of any politician ever than you have in this clip in which Anthony Weiner just verbally demolishes a man. And God bless him for doing it. There are the obvious pieces in there. There are the obvious talk show monologue clips. You know, there's the, the bit where Colbert said that and the bit where Jon Stewart did that. There's all those bits included because they were always going to be. Anthony Weiner was the subject of so much media mockery. And the film has this undercurrent about how the media deals with a particular scandal. And the idea that the film puts forward is, in actuality, had the media not been quite so farcical about it, had they simply covered it and moved on, and allowed his campaign to be focused on issues and not his own private life, as he tried to make it, then he actually feasibly could have won that election. And the film puts forward a very intriguing idea of what what a a world would have looked like outside of what is referred to as Wienergate. But uh, I know, as far as scandals goes, that's the worst possible name, isn't it? Mm. There is, though, at the centre of it all, this relationship between Anthony Weiner and his wife, Huma, who is a fascinating figure. I don't know if, you, if you've ever, ever seen her or anything. Any any documentary or anything no, like that? I don't think so. She is a close friend and advisor to Hillary Clinton, and as far as oh, I wow. know, still is. I I think she might actually still be, and there are points at which she she does get to play the put upon wife, but it, she is also in herself a, a very strong and very very powerful presence. But she's forced to dial it down in light of this scandal mm. and it quickly becomes apparent that she doesn't know how to handle this. There's a, there is a, a very stern, very telling silence to her, and it fills any time she's in a room with just this brilliant tension, because you never know quite how it's going to go. Um, 
it's 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 a film that basically it doesn't add anything new to the narrative, so to speak. There's there's no there's no new information you're going to get about Wienergate, about the the mayor campaign or anything like that. Um, but what you get is effectively a really well put together, well directed, uh, and just. Really, really well composed. It's got the Blackfish composer on this as well, by the way. Oh, really? Uh, Jeff Beale. Mm. Um, a really well composed look at an almost inspiring yet brilliantly flawed man. And I was I was shocked by it. I really had a lot of I, I had a lot of fun with it in a strange way. It had its tongue in its cheek, but it wasn't judgy. You know, it was amusing, but it wasn't mocking. Mm. And it's so easy to do that with Anthony Weiner. And as as the the media you know of the course of the film clearly do, I mean there's also there's a moment in which they show you the woman who in, was involved in the second sexting scandal, and she she does her she'll never be able to claim that the documentary depicted her in a bad light because she does enough of that herself. She is depicted as the lowest form of human waste. But uh, n- never mind. So what have you got for me? Uh, not a lot. To be honest. <laughs> not I feel a lot. like it's slim pickings this week. I've got a few bits. Um, what have you got for me? Right, so IMAX are moving into home cinemas. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited And how much is that going to cost me? £400,000. Sorry, dollars. $400,000. Okay. So what would it be about? Yeah, 300000 Yeah, so it's manageable then, isn't it? Manageable, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the That's for the smaller model. Mm. Yeah, that's for the smaller model. Um, if you want the high-end version, the deluxe model, uh, that's a million. But this includes a 40 to 80 seat screen. Though, wow. you know, touchscreen remote, and apparently <clears throat> it includes karaoke facilities. So uh, you know, if you ever wanted to do karaoke on so, an I mean, IMAX screen, and... really, they're they're targeted at like Korean businessmen <laughs> in the early nineties. <laughs> no, no, Japanese a... businessmen. Japanese. Get it right. I'm I'm not discriminating. I mean, hey, hey, the, the the Koreans, I'm sure they they have karaoke as well. But uh, I, they, I they do. But there was a Korean barbecue karaoke joint in Sheffield Town. Was there? It's not there anymore. Oh, but um, it, it closed about a year ago. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I, 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 I never went as well, and I feel like I've contributed to it closing. You down. should have told me, man. We could have gone. We'd have got a posse together. We could have got a posse. I think you and me doing Blink One Eight Two. Short rib and uh, you, yeah. you, me singing "What's My Age Again." We could have made that work. Mm. Yeah, some yeah, some short ribs and, and "What's My Age Again." That would have worked. Yeah. Oh, so the Oscar diversity thing. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is a this is a topic that we should talk about this sometime. Is yeah, so, it is intriguing. So the basic general gist is the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, or AMPAS, yeah. who are basically, you know, the guys who run the Oscars. Yeah. Well, they run all the awards, don't they? Um, all the major ones, They run yeah. all the major Apart awards. from Golden Globes, because that's, yeah, critics and stuff. So the idea is that they, they, they got taken to task at the beginning of this year. Yeah, uh, with with the brilliant hashtag Oscar so white, Oscars so white. Well, yeah, but that started last year. That's not last year, and yeah, <laughs> Be- because there really was no serious female or 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 uh, ethnic representation within the Oscars this year. It was primarily white men. Mm. Well, but there hasn't been for for some time, and it's just kind of. It's really come to a head in the last two years. It has, and yeah. so what they've done now is they have decided to, uh, to 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 have a little fun with the membership. They've decided to uh, increase the number of uh, of well, I was going to say black. No, there's also other ethnicities as well, and female members of Ampas. Yeah. So they and, and people that are like in the twenties, people in the thirties, as, as well. They are trying yeah. to be inclusive. They sent out apparently a record number. Is it six hundred seventy-eight? Something like that. Something like that. Invitations. And, and I'll, I'll tell you where it started. It started with 
all the main cast of Star Wars. Because <laughs> John Boyega was invited, Daisy Ridley was invited, Oscar it, Isaac was invited. Yep. Um, yeah. Idris Elba's been invited. Idris, well, did you know that, Tina that Fey's that been invited? I did. Well, yeah. she, she's on the Writers Guild. Well, yeah. So. But uh, there's some, some very interesting additions to it. Nicholas yeah. Winding Refn yes. has been invited. Yeah, it's amazing. Have, oh. you, got, have you got the list there? I, I can pull up the list. Pull, it's, it is a fascinating reading. But uh, yeah, Nicholas Winding Refn, which means someone at Ampass thought it was a good idea <clears> to give the man who made Only God Forgives the ability to determine who deserves an Oscar. True, but I think that same person was like, ooh, that's the person who made Bronson and Drive. Yeah, I mean, it swings and roundabouts, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, Nicholas Winding Refn, I, mm. I don't know what that I one. believe it was... It was before big <laughs> acting winners from last year, they've all been invited. I think Leah was already a member, but at least with Vakanda, Mark Rylance, who I've got a story about in a second, and uh, Brie Larson, they were all invited. Yeah, there are there is yeah. a, there is a thing with getting actual previous mem- previous nominees and previous winners in. As yes, well. that's always kind of been pedigree. Yeah, Mark Rylance. Yeah, um, he. <laughs> he was given uh, an interview. He was doing some press for BFG. He says he wants to be um, the first female James Bond. <laughs> he wants to be Jane Bond. <laughs> I love that man. I've got I've got some 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 of the list here. Okay, uh, give, so give me some names. P- people who have been invited to uh, to to join Ampass. Yeah, uh, these include. Hang on. So there are uh, twenty eight Oscar winners, ninety eight former nominees, and two hundred and eighty three quote international members. So. <laughs> I don't. That's an important word. That's an important <laughs> word. International members. Yeah. So notable names include Oscar Isaac, you point that out, Idris Elba, Rachel McAdams. Nominee this year. Ava Mendes, Rose Byrne, Michael B. Jordan, Dakota yeah. Johnson? Seriously? Yeah, that's strange, what, isn't it? Why? Come on. Well, I'll... Let's be honest. This, this is that's the said. only way Dakota Johnson's ever going to the Oscars. Let's be honest. <laughs> she went last year with her mum, and it was hilarious. Well, okay, other than going with her mum, that's the only way Dakota Johnson's ever going to the Oscars. But it's not its not just about females or people in ethnic minority groups. It's, mm. it's people of a certain age as well. It's, it's not just that. They need to... We need to lower that. Rebel that, that Wilson mean would have been a better choice than Dakota Johnson. I'm surprised she hasn't been invited. Well, she would be international, technically, and a woman. She's Australian. Yeah. So yeah, so. I've really warmed her recently. Really, I, I, I really wasn't a fan. She's, uh, she's, she's doing Guys and Dolls on stage in London. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she was on. Yeah. Um, was it Graham Norton? She was on the yeah. other day. I'm yeah. personally, she can I'm, sing. I'm more she intrigued really by can, Pixie Lott in Breakfast at Tiffany's and uh, Amelia Lilly in the Green Day musical, but that's just me personally. <laughs> Uh, Byung Hun Lee is uh, is one of them. Really? Yes. So that shows you their reach. That shows their reach for like the international the, the, market. The, yeah. They got the Chinese selling point of Terminator Genesis. <laughs> is Donnie Yen there as well? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Alicia Vikander, like, uh, Tessa Thompson is is, a, is one of them. Yeah. One of the well, uh, Michelle it's, Rodriguez. It's so interesting, isn't it? Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson. Mm-hmm. Is Ryan Coogler there? Ryan Coogler is on there. Yes. So, hang on. There's more. There's more. We've got, we've got loads. Everyone, everyone from straight out of Compton. Yeah. Is, is Ice Cube? I bet. I bet you. I don't think 10 he pounds is. Ice Cube is there. Uh, can I just point out though? Damon Wayans Jr. is is an invitee. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But you've you've got to applaud them. You, you know why they're doing it, and it's I've got to it's appla- a positive. Step. I've got to applaud them because I'm genuinely impressed that anybody at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences actually knows who Damon Wayans Jr. is, or senior for that matter. You probably just thought he was Will Smith. 
Uh, that's probably it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No Anthony Mackie, strangely. But oh, okay. that's interesting. So let's yeah. uh, let, let's let's carry on going through the list. Hang on. So uh, Taika Waititi. Has oh, been incredible! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that has just started filming. Uh, oh, for Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah. yeah. Oh, James Wan. Has been invited. Oh, cool. Patty Jenkins. This is really interesting. Like genre filmmakers yeah. are being invited. Yeah, actual. I know. Yeah. James Wan, who's yeah, no Justin Lin, strangely, but yeah. Mm. Uh, Patty Jenkins, Richard cool. Kelly, Adam McKay, Alex Garland, Park Chan Wook. Really? Yes. Park Chan Wook, who has made exactly one movie in English. Mm. Which is great movie. Though. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Second best movie of that year, I thought. But uh, Ryan Coogler, Ken Loach, who seems to be having a good <laughs> year. Yeah, he really is, isn't he? Uh, we got uh, Lynn is, Ramsey. Is it, is it I Daniel? I Daniel, that's that yeah. soon. But he's also the, he's had the documentary about himself out. Mm. But yeah, Lynn Ramsey and Lily and Lana Wachowski. Oh, that's that's wonderful. That is that's great. Yeah. So there's there is <clears throat> a, an interesting list. They're not all going to take the invitation, presumably. No, but he's. They just invite all... it. Yeah. But could you imagine turning it down? I don't think you would. I think a few people will, either for commitments or it's just not. To be honest, I think past Oscar win as well. I think Mark Rylance will turn it down. You think? Yeah. My my other half really wants to see the BFG. Uh, yes, yeah, so do I. She's, she's a huge that's BFG right. fan. And we we watched the animated BFG movie. Uh, oh, the David Jason one. It, it's, on, it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. In HD, no less. Someone cleaned that up for HD. So we sat and watched it, uh, and I, I hadn't I seen it. I hadn't seen it in many, many years. I'd forgotten it all. I'd forgot. I'd realised I'd forgotten the actual plot of the BFG. Like, when they took the helicopters through the yeah. giant portal into giant land, and yeah. I'd forgotten all that. And uh, our, our viewing experience, just a side note, our viewing experience did end with me having to construct an elaborate narrative about a giant-based Guantanamo Bay. Because that apparently is how it, how it ends. But um, she was really excited about it. And I said, well, hang on a minute. Why, why do you think Mark Rylance is going to be good if you haven't seen Bridge of Spies? So I now actually have an excuse to watch Bridge of Spies again, which I'm really happy about. Because I think he's terrific in that movie. I thought it was good. I don't think he should have won an Oscar for it. Do you not but, think? You no. said this at the time, actually, didn't you? Yeah, because there was about five other actors that weren't nominated for Best Sporting Actor, but they thought... Would you have given Hanks a nomination? You, no. You're pondering this. No. No? Because he would have been for lead. And I, he wasn't the most deserving lead. Right? He, he was amazing, but mm. Hank should have been nominated for Captain Phillips. Well, yeah, there was that. and Because he had that, and he had Saving Mr. Banks within two months of each other, and everyone was like, oh, he's going to get one of them. He's going to get a nomination for one of them. He, didn't get he was so good in both. He was great I mean, he, I mean, he was absolutely heartbreaking in Captain Phillips. But... And Emma Thompson didn't get nominated. For I know, that, that, that really actually outwardly annoyed me. Yeah. I loved her in that movie. That uh, that was one of those we we saw. So was playing Mr. Banks. We saw about six months early, and then mm. had and then had to shut up it about shun. it. Yeah. We were embargoed for about six <clears throat> months. That was a good film, though. It was. Do you know what he's got? Um, <clears throat> what he's got coming up about filmmaker? Uh, uh, John John Lee Hancock. Yes, John Lee Hancock. Yeah, come on. yeah. Um, he's got a film uh, called The Founder. Do you know about this? Oh, is this the McDonald's one? This is the McDonald's movie. This is Michael Keaton. Is yes. Ray, Ray Kroc or he's... Roy Kroc? Ray Kroc. I think Ray it's Ray. Kroc. I think it's Ray I think Kroc. He plays a guy called Ray Kroc, set in the 50s with yeah. both McDonald's. Um, so Ray Kroc didn't uh, come up with the name McDonald's. Didn't, <laughs> he didn't. No, he didn't no. even come up with the idea of fast food. He basically got it from two brothers that had set up this The place, McDonald brothers. The McDonald brothers, yeah. funnily enough. Yeah, set up the whole idea of getting a burger in 30 seconds or less. And he saw the potential and turned it into a franchise, much to their, their chagrin, if you will. Well, I, uh, I have a very familiar with the story of Ray Kroc, because... Uh... 
I, I had an acute fascination. I, I came across a book about Ray Kroc mm. once many years ago, and it was around the time of Super Size Me. Oh, and uh, this was when McDonald's went all really healthy, and I was really hung over with my. I was with my sister. I was really hung over, and I was in a branch of McDonald's just outside of Leighton Buzzard on mm. the A5 to Dunstable, and. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for the, for the question when they asked, would you like fries or a salad with that? And, and I, <laughs> that's exactly how they phrased it, would you like fries or a salad with that? And hungover, just devastated as a person, I just remembered the words, what? Could you, could, what, what did you just ask me? Would you like fries or a salad? I went, Roy Crot, Ray Crot did not die so that you could serve me a salad. Fries, please. <laughs> <laughs> And the part I really loved was the guy asked me, who's Ray Kroc? <laughs> Your founder. So, yeah. they'll, they'll know when they see the film. They'll, they'll be like, know oh, when they see the film, yes. That's what that little guy was on about. So I'm going to be thinking about that guy when that movie's out. <laughs> let's let's stick with a bit of an oscar theme. I've got some news about the release date for the film that's uh, going to be coming out. Have you heard of a film called uh, The Birth of a Nation? Ooh, no, I know the name. <clears throat> uh, and and I, I actually did get sent a press release about it this morning, okay. and I didn't read the email. Mm. I kind of just saw the title in the email. I think it's going to be screened around October, November mm-hmm. time for voters and stuff uh, okay. um, things like that so um the title suggests oscar fodder if i'm honest it really does doesn't it just just the title just the title alone yeah it's it's a period film it's about slavery it's okay. made by a guy called Nate Parker what do i know Nate Parker from i'm going to have to pull up imdb this guy hang on <laughs> Nate Parker Red Tails. that's it yes. thank you yeah he was in Red Tails um the great debaters that was a good film know, did, did you see that, that? Really good flick, but yeah, he he's made this film. He uh, he's written it. He's, he stars in it. He he directs it. He's done the theme tune. Did the catering. Wrote the theme tune. Sing the theme, theme tune. tune. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is about uh, a literate slave um, who is also a preacher who has become uh, something of worth to I know Nate his, Parker his own actor. family. He basically. Um, leads a revolt against a series of wealthy white families. And it's Go being on. directed by the man from Nonstop. Literally. If you remember, quite famously, Lupita Nyong'o won the Oscar for Best Actress for not for uh, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, well, what you, what you probably don't remember is... Uh, I remember she was in Nonstop. Well, yeah, two weeks prior, Nonstop had opened. And <laughs> this is, given who she plays in, in uh, 12 Years a Slave and the things she goes through in 12 Years a Slave, it was made somewhat almost ironic that she's in Nonstop as one of only two black characters, one female, one male, and both have exactly the same haircut. The male member yeah. is, is Nate <laughs> is Parker. Nate Parker. Yeah, and it was, it was a strange irony to just have this film out when she's winning an Oscar 12 years of slow. And then would go on to completely steal Star Wars The Force Awakens. But uh, who knew? You are the only person who's ever said that. Really? Really. No, she owns really? Star Wars The Force Awakens. I, I like no. Maz Kanata. She, she does not steal that She film. does. Maz Kanata. Maz Kanata. Absolutely steal Star Wars The you're, Force Awakens. You're Mad Kanata, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that is... No. Like, there is some hate for Maz Kanata. Really? Yeah. 
Oh man, I people want her Lego think that figure. She's just oh, well, like, I want her adorable. Lego figure. It's amazing, but people think that she's just she's filling the no. token Yoda role. She's or she's filling the token. It's her Ewok and BB-8, role. man. They they on that movie. BB-8, BB-8 and Canada, man. BB-8 and the shipping between Finn, <laughs> Finn and Poe on that movie. <laughs> Finn and Poe. Like, where did that come from? That just appeared. Yeah, Maskanata and her eyes look like buttholes. <laughs> did you say buttholes? I said buttholes. I could tell you said bottles. I just did it in a Yorkshire accent, mate. Like. I guess her glasses look like bottles, but her eyes are like buttholes. <laughs> well, from from that level of, of insanity to a completely different one altogether, here it is, your moment of cage. I have kids! I have to go see my kids! You put pie on my coat! I have to see my kids with tie on me, man! Go see your kids with on you! Calm down, man! I have to see my family!